heaven is a wonderful place. That was the thrust of my last message with you. As we began looking at John chapter 14 and looking at under the, the theme or the heading of turning from worry into worship. Here in this 14th chapter we, we noted that John referred to heaven as the Father's house. And the picture the words paint is of a, a very palatial place. Plenty of room, plenty of space for all the children of God. No believers will be turned away. There's room enough for all. But then following this picture, and our Lord's word of promise in verse 3, we, we hear an exclusive claim. A claim that sometimes upsets some people. A, a claim that is somewhat intolerant. Because in this lovely chapter, in these gracious words that would seek to calm our fears and, and dismiss our troubles, Jesus says, No one comes to the Father except through me. The words of verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is it that gives Jesus the right to say this? What is his authority to, to make this, this exclusive claim? Well, our answer is provided by Jesus himself, and they're provided for us at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. Verse 2 of John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Did you notice the repetition that Jesus used? He points out that, that heaven is not only a palatial place, but heaven is a prepared place. And so this Good Friday morning, I want you to see his costly preparation, his courageous participation, and his comforting proposition. First of all, his costly preparation. Twice Jesus speaks of going to prepare a place. Frequently, we see this in our mind's eye as Jesus, now ascended to, to heaven, getting a place ready for us, that is for those who believe. The words that come to us from verse 1. In other words, we, we believe that Jesus has ascended the Father, now he's building a mansion for us, just, just over the hilltop. It's a little bit like what my father did in the early 1960s. 
My aunt, who had been recently widowed in Brazil, where her and her husband had been serving as missionaries. My aunt was left with two young children, and so rather than moving back to her native Northern Ireland, she wrote to my parents and asked, would it be possible for her and the children to come and live with us in Melbourne? And of course, my, 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 my parents were delighted and they responded positively. And my father then began to prepare a place for her and my two cousins. He built in what we used to call in those days a sleepout, a bungalow in the backyard. And so when we read John 14, sometimes that's the, the thinking, that's the, the image we see. Jesus with, with hammer and nails and, and saw preparing a place for us. But the reality is this. The hammer, the nails, the saw were in the hands of others. For what Jesus saw and what Jesus was alluding to here was Golgotha, Calvary, the old rugged cross. It was by that instrument of a Roman cross, crucifixion, if you will, that Jesus prepared a place for us. For without such preparation, the Father's house, the eternal heaven, would be defiled and trashed and ruined by out-of-towners, by, by shameless, sin-driven, sin-delighting men and women. Sinful men and women who would have felt just out of place in such a holy place. And so the question is this. How could disobedient, independent, God-deniers ever be welcomed and feel perfectly at home in the Father's house? Jesus needed to prepare that place for us. And Scripture tells us how he did it. It is the author of the book of Hebrew who takes up this point, this truth, concerning Jesus' work of preparation. I'm turning in my Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 23. Hebrews 9 and verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, 
He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as as appointed for man once to die, after that the judgment, so Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, and will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In these words, we have a description of how Jesus prepared paradise for sin-bent, hell-deserving sinners. A perfect sacrifice, once for all. A personal sacrifice, himself. A purposeful sacrifice for us, the likes of you and me. A purifying sacrifice, for it was to deal with sin, to put away sin. My friends, the death of Christ is the pivotal fact of time. It cleaves human history into two and is the converging point between two eternities. What do we see when we focus on the cross of Christ? Well, we see that it was violent. Violent. Suffering was involved. Blood was shed. And what does blood signify and symbolize? But life sacrificed in death, violent death. Life violently taken in death. We see violence here. We see also that it was vicarious. That big word meaning in the place and for the benefit of others. He bore the sin of many. He who knew no sin became sin for us. You see, Christ did not merely die as a martyr, but as our sin bearer. He died to bring us to God. It was violent. It was vicarious. Because in my place, in my place, condemned he stood. One of my great heroes is an old preacher, pastor, by the name of Dr. Stephen Alford, now in glory. But Stephen Alford described Calvary and the cross and the work of Jesus this way. I quote, If you want to see your polluted thought life represented, look at the blood that trickled from his thorn-crowned brow. If you want to see your sins of action represented, fix your eyes upon his bleeding, nail-pierced hands. If you want to see your shameful life of waywardness represented, behold the gory spikes that held his precious feet. And if you want to see the utter corruption and desperate wickedness of your heart represented, watch the crimson flow that issued from his blessed side. 
How is it that we can be welcomed into the Father's house? Jesus has prepared the way for us by dying a violent death for us, by dying a vicarious death for us. And although the words may sound and seem contradictory, he died a victorious death for us. A victorious death for us. And turning back to the book of Hebrews, and this time to the ninth chapter, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 28. Let me remind you simply of those words. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Notice these words. Will appear a second time. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. My dear friends, in the death of Christ, there was the death of death itself. And he triumphed over death and hell and sin and Satan. He rose triumphant from the grave and so Jesus saves. And thus his right to that exclusive claim recorded by John in John 14, 6. He died a violent death. He died a vicarious death. He died a victorious death. And so it is we hear these words, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Come, he says, I've prepared a place for you. All is now ready. Come. A costly preparation. But I want you to notice as well this morning his courageous participation. What did Jesus say? I go. I go to prepare a place for you. John 14, 2 and John 14, 3. What's implied here? From these words we see that Jesus' cross work was also voluntary. He was not trapped. He was not tricked, but rather he went. He gave himself up. John 18 tells us that Jesus, knowing all things that were to happen to him, went forth. You know, we read books about the courage of men. More often than not, it's, it's an action taken without little thought, without any, any due previous consideration. Something happens and, and immediately there's this rush, rush out of the, the pit, out of the trench to an act of courage. Jesus knew 
all that was going to happen to him. The scourging, the spitting, the spear, the nails, the cross. With the horrors of the cross before him, Jesus declared, I have come to do your will, O God. And therefore, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he came to give his life a ransom for many. My dear friends, the cross was no surprise to the Saviour. Throughout his life, he spoke of it. He spoke of his hour. Throughout John's Gospel, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then eventually, finally, my hour, his hour. And we read of his laying down his life. No one taking it from him. And when the time was right, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. John 19.30 Not the helpless drooping of the head after death, but the deliberate, voluntary act of putting his head into that position of rest. It's the same verb that you find in Matthew 8.20. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's the picture here. And so the Lord cries, It is finished. He positions his head and then voluntarily dismisses his spirit. I go to prepare a place for you. His going was voluntary and his going was intentional because the cross is why he came. Despite the troubles that he felt and the trials he faced, Jesus was unswervingly committed to bring glory to the Father by delighting and fulfilling his will and work. The cross was not forced upon Jesus, but intentionally embraced by Jesus. There were imperatives, necessities to which he bowed. I'm sure you recall in your reading of the Old Testament, particularly the Gospels, the times where Jesus would speak to his disciples and tell them how he must go up to Jerusalem, how he must suffer, how he must die. He would not extricate himself. I go, says Jesus. And he climbs the hill and he nails himself to the tree. The words of Alexander Smelly. He climbs the hill and nails himself to the tree. Voluntary, intentional, and purposeful. For why does he go? I go to prepare a place for you. That is, I go to save the Father's people, those that he prays for in John 17. And as a result, he goes to glorify his Father, to bring glory to his name. John 12, 27 and 28. I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And the route the Father had chosen was that root of the road 
to Calvary. The route, the road, the cross. The people will behold for all eternity and wonder with glory. The glory of the Father seen in the face of the Son, spat upon, marred, and marked more than any man. A costly preparation, a courageous participation, and so thirdly and finally, his comforting proposition. I go to prepare a place for you. Did you get it? I go for you. I go. And I'm going for you. I go to forsakenness for you. I go to a crown of thorns for you. I go to cursing and nails and spear for you. I go to mocking and ridicule and scourging for you. I go to crucifixion for you. All was expected, experienced and embraced for you. For you. But is the you, you? Is the you of whom Jesus is referring you? What characterized the, the you here in John 14? Those to whom Jesus was speaking. The answer is found in verse 1. Those who believe in God and who believe in him. Who are the you? We who trust the Saviour, that He went to the cross for my sake. We who believe that His cross removes every obstacle which would seek to separate us from God. We who are in this world with all of its tears and fears, and yet we believe that God is our protector, that God is our possessor, that God is our provider. Who are the you? We who believe that we can approach heaven's potentate and prince with peace. Believing that he has no quarrel with us anymore. And in faith and in obedience, we acknowledge ourselves to be set apart for him in his service. That we acknowledge and confess that we have no claims on ourselves any longer. We belong to him. We have been bought with the price. Because remember Jesus was speaking to his followers, to his disciples. They were the you he was immediately referring to. And so the benefits and the blessings flow to those who today would, as disciples of Christ, take up their cross and follow him. Who would deny themselves acknowledging that He is not only my Savior, 
but my Sovereign, my Lord and my Master. He came. He came to go to the cross. He came to prepare a place by means of Calvary. And he comes to us and invites us to himself. And the scripture assures us that all, all who come to God through him, he will in no wise cast out. No one comes to the Father but by me. For he alone was selected by the Father. Selected to suffer for sinful men and women. To open heaven's gates so that we may enter in. The only way into the Father's house is through the horrors endured by the Son. The horrors of a cross. I go. I go for you. Will you then go to him? Will you go to him in repentance and faith, trusting in him? Will you go to him this day, this Good Friday? Will you go to him? Because he's only a prayer away. And whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved and the welcome given come come the father's house prepared for you go go to him and be saved this day may god bless his word to us all amen